Right, good morning, Calvary. So I'm actually excited this morning for several reasons. It's always exciting to go into the Word of God and be able to bring it to you. This is actually the first time that I'm preaching before the Dr. Joseph Mark Bobby. <laughs> Usually when I preach, I'm filling in for him when he's not here. But um, this time I actually get to, to preach in front of him, so... This is something that maybe I'll be talking about 10, 20 years from now. It's like, you know. <laughs> Let's actually go to the Lord in prayer, ask his blessing on the preaching of his word. Uh, Father and God, we just want to thank you for this time where we get to open up your scripture. We thank you, God, that you've given us your word. You've given us your Holy Spirit that we can come to your word and read it and understand it. And we don't just see it as a piece of literature, but we know it's you revealing yourself to us. And we know, God, that the more that we see Christ, the more that we know Christ, the more that we can grow and the more that we are sanctified. So I pray that you'll be with us now and help us to see Christ. Help me to get out of the way and make Christ glorified. We ask this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. So last week we actually went through this text. um, And our focus was on this conversation between Jesus and Peter. And we looked at some of the spiritual truths there that it became, it went from a conversation about washing feet to a conversation about sanctification. And we looked at that and we looked at um, how Peter went from not understanding to understanding so well that he then writes about sanctification as a major subject of his first epistle. This week I want us to look at what Jesus said in verse 15, where in, and we're in, sorry, we're in John 13. Um, verse 15, he says, For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. And so I want us to look at what Christ did and look at this example and how can we live this out today? Jesus left this as an example for us, so it's something for us to study, something for us to follow, something for us to strive after. I also mentioned that there was a division that happened right at the beginning of of John, of chapter 13. And we see the first 12 chapters Jesus is presented to and rejected by the nation of Israel. But these next five chapters all highlight one night with this intimate time with his disciples. And some call it the upper room discourse because it happened in the upper room. But these five chapters ending with Jesus praying to the Father on behalf of his disciples, focusing on this one night. So we see John chapter 2, Jesus is introduced at a wedding. And we get to see the miracle-working Savior, where he turned water into wine at a wedding. And so from John chapter 2 through chapter 12, we get to see about three and a half years of the life, the public ministry of Jesus. But we can go back a little further. If we look at John chapter 1, verse 14, it tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we actually get from... John 1, 14, to our text today, 33 years of Jesus' life. And then we get five chapters of one night that he spends with his disciples. But if we go back even further to John chapter 1, verse 1, we are told that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, technically, from John 1, 1, to the end of chapter 12, we get everything from eternity past to the night before he was crucified, 
12 chapters to cover everything from before this world was created to the night before he was crucified. 12 chapters. Then we get five chapters on one night. So it makes sense that we spend a lot of time here. Now, I'm not trying to compete with Pastor Bobby and preach for six hours. I don't know how much you guys would, would stand that. Probably will never be up here again. But we do want to take a look at this example that he gave us. So what was going on at this time? Well, we saw last week in verse 1 in chapter 13, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover. So we have that. We have this is this night where he celebrates this Passover meal, which we now call the Last Supper, or um, you know, we use this as a model for the, our celebration of the Lord's table. So he's celebrating the Feast of the Passover. John also says in verse 1, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, he knew that this was the end. He came into this world and he lived a life of righteousness in perfect obedience to the law. And this was the final step. He would give his life 12, less than 12 hours from this point. He would be on a cross. Verse 2 says, During supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus was going to be betrayed this night. It wasn't just that he was going to be arrested, but that one of his own, one of his closest disciples. In fact, so close that we're told that he was given the responsibility to handle the money. He was the treasurer for the disciples. He wasn't just one of the guys hanging on the outskirts. He was the treasurer. He was the one they trusted with the money. So Jesus knows all these things are going on. And he takes the time to wash the disciples' feet. When we look at what Jesus did in this time, there are at least ten things that we can pull from this. Ten distinct ways that Jesus served. And the first one we're told in um, verse 1 in the second half of verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, to the end isn't speaking of the duration of his love, but this, this phrase is actually speaking to the extent of his love. He loved them to the end. He loved them completely, or he loved them perfectly. Now, what does that mean? His service was motivated by love. And that's the first thing that we see. Before we get into all the details, all of the the ways which he served, things that he did, things that he ignored, we're told that he loved his, his disciples perfectly. He loved them to the end. Now, how do we do that? How do we, how do we show that? Well, if we look down in in verse 34, in this same chapter, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Verse 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So love for the body of Christ is going to be the way that unbelievers, that people who are not in the faith, know that we are Christians. Because of how we love each other, how we treat each other, how we respond to each other, how we forgive each other. The Bible in in the New Testament is full of these phrases that have been termed the one another's. And they're called that because the command is usually do this to one another, behave this way to one another. And if you just do a search in a Bible, many have electronic Bibles, and you look for the phrase, one another, you'll see ten or more times that this phrase, or one very similar, is used. A, a few of them, 
um, we are told here in the t- what I just read, love, love one another. Romans 15, 14 tells us to admonish one another. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 tells us to bear one another's burdens. We're told in Ephesians 4.32 to be kind to one another. In Ephesians 5.21, be subject to one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says to comfort one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.13 says live in peace with one another. Last week we looked at James 5.16 which says confess your sins to one another. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 9 even tells us to be hospitable to one another without complaint. And those are just a few of the the times that the Bible says that we are to do something to one another, and all those things are an outworking of our love. The same love that Jesus said, this is how the world will identify that you belong to me, if you love each other. So the first thing we see, Jesus' service was motivated by love. The second thing is Jesus served in complete humility. Look at verse 4. The Bible says that he got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. The words, the image, is that of complete, complete humility. He just got up from the table and took off his outer garment. And then just put a towel around his waist in complete humility. He didn't even draw attention to himself. He didn't, the Bible doesn't record him saying or doing anything other than getting into a posture to serve. Many times it can be difficult for us to serve in complete humility because in this culture, we want to be seen. Not all of us. Some of us would like to hide in the background and never be seen. But many of us, we're taught. And in fact, if we have the personality that says, I want to kind of hide in the background, we'll have people drag us out onto a stage and say, no, you should want to be the focus of people's attention. And constantly we are told that. And so it, it can be hard. It can be hard to serve Because we'll see later that with service comes joy. You, you, in human terms, you feel good when you serve someone. And even to talk about that service may feel good. But Jesus serves in humility. And we must do that as well. Now that may look different depending on the service that you do. It's very difficult to serve with humility when there's a hundred eyes focused on you or a thousand eyes focused on you just by the nature of the service. So your serving in humility may look different than someone who's doing something when no one's around. But you have to make sure that that is your motivation, that you are truly trying to serve to glorify God and the focus should be on Christ and not you. Jesus also served quietly. He didn't announce what he was doing. Matter of fact, the Bible doesn't say that there were any words at all spoken until Peter objected. He didn't point out who dropped the ball. He didn't point out whose mistake that he was trying to clean up. If we, we don't have to turn there, but in Luke 22... In verses 8 through 13, we see that Jesus tells the disciples to go and prepare for the Passover. He sends them ahead to get the upper room prepared. He tells them who to look for. It's going to be a man who's carrying water. Usually that wasn't, it was usually done by a woman. Uh, he said, you're going to see a man carrying water back from a well. And that is the person that I've already made arrangements with that we're going to have the Passover in his home. And so they go, they talk to this man, and they set up the Passover. But they didn't arrange to have anyone there to wash feet. Now, that could have been an oversight. It could have been, obviously, if they did arrange for that, we wouldn't have this passage here. We wouldn't have these lessons. 
But Jesus doesn't point out, this was your mistake and I'm going to clean up your mistake. And many times we do that. Many times in all walks of life, we have to identify the person who did something wrong. And when we're doing something right, we have to tell the world, well, this person was supposed to send this email by 2 o'clock and they didn't do it. So I had to go and send the email. Instead of just, oh, I sent the email. I took care of it. We have to highlight that there was someone who didn't do something they should have. And I had to put on my cape and go and save the day. Or in this case, a towel. But Jesus doesn't do that. So he serves with humility, but he also serves quietly without placing blame on the others that caused the need for the service in the first place. Jesus also served in the small ways. And we looked last week and talked about why foot washing was necessary in the first place. They walked on these dirty roads. Walking was their main mode of transportation. And the roads were very dirty, very dusty. And so even though they would clean their entire body, they would walk and they would just kick up dust. And by the time they got to their destination, their feet were dirty. And so a foot washer became a necessity, so much so that it became a sign of hospitality. And if you didn't have someone or even yourself, wash the feet of your guests, it was a dishonor to them. You go into many people's homes today, and they'll offer to take your coat. And then they usually offer you something to drink. And it's on that level. As soon as someone comes in your home, I I can't think of someone's house that I've been in, and they haven't just said, do you want something to drink? Even if all they have is tap water, they're like, do you want some tap water? Do you want something to drink? It's just like a basic thing. We're just brought up to say, do you want something to drink? Well, there was, all right, let's get get that dust off your feet. I mean, first I'm saying, you're going to be tracking that stuff on my carpet. But it was a sign of hospitality. And in Luke 7, 36 to 44, we don't have to turn there now, but... There is a story about a Pharisee who invites Jesus into his home and a woman comes and breaks a alabaster box that had costly perfume and she breaks it and she pours out the perfume on his feet and she cries on his feet and she wipes her feet with his tears and then she was a prostitute and the Pharisee starts thinking if Jesus only knew what type of woman she was, he wouldn't let her touch him at all. And then Jesus condemns him and says, first he tells a parable explaining that she loves him more because she, had, she was forgiven of more. And then he says, I walked into your house. You didn't even offer me water for my feet. You're trying to condemn this woman and you didn't do the most basic thing to me as your guest. And supposedly I was your guest of honor. It was such a basic part of their lives. So Jesus didn't just serve in the big ways. He served in the minor details. And sometimes for us, we have to look at the small ways to serve someone. We can't always look for the large things. We can't always look for the things that, co- that make us need to put the cape on. Giving somebody a ride is serving them. So don't just say, no, no, I'll, I'll wait until they need a, a teacher before I'll, I'll serve. I'll wait before they need something large. I'll wait for, before they need someone to sing a solo. And then I'll step up and I'll serve then. But serve in the small ways, the everyday things that are usually not done. We see this is what Jesus does. Jesus saw a need, and he immediately worked to fill it. He didn't sit and deliberate. They didn't have a conversation about it. 
and say who has to wash the feet. Now, I don't know who should do it. Do you want to do it? Maybe I, you know what? Okay, fine. I'll go and do it because nobody wants to. Jesus just saw the need. He immediately went to fill the need. Some of the disciples probably didn't even know what was going on because they're involved in their conversations. And then they said, what? what is Jesus doing with a towel? He saw the need and immediately went to fill it. And it didn't matter if the service matched his gifting or his experience. And many times we don't want to serve because we say, I don't have experience in that area. Or, you know, that's, that's not my calling. That's not my gifting. That's not where my ministry lies. You know, we can get really deep, can't we? We can put together the most spiritual sounding excuses. There are probably some of us who are still praying about something that we were asked to do 10 years ago. And you know, I, I, I have to pray on that saint. I have to see if that's exactly what the Lord has for me in this season of my life. And God is calling for us to serve. Now, this next thing, we're going to look at this in a little more, more detail. Because, and this is the sixth point, Jesus served even when discouraged to do so. And we see good old Peter. So, in verse 6, Peter says, Lord, do you Wash my feet? And what we see in this dialogue between Jesus and Peter, we're going to see three things that people usually do to our service, to discourage our service, and how Jesus responds in each case. So the first one, sometimes people will question our service. Sometimes they will just ask, are we really intending to do this? Sometimes the question is about our motives, and sometimes it's about our qualifications. Now, in this world, we do have to be careful about people's motives. We don't always encounter people who have our best interests at heart. So when somebody wants to do something good, we've trained ourselves to question it. Why are you trying to serve me in this way? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I don't, I don't need that. I just, you know, I don't trust them. I don't know really what they're trying to get out of it. Do they just want to have something they can hold over me? Do they just want to get in my business so they can go run their mouth to people? And, and, and these th- questions come, and so people will question your service when you intend to do good. Jesus addresses Peter's question. In verse 7, Jesus answered him and said, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And last week we looked at Jesus' qualifications to be able to make this type of statement. To be able to ask Peter to have faith in him. To ask Peter to move forward even through doubts. Jesus was qualified to ask this. Now, there are some types of service that can be done by everyone. And so when your service is questioned because of your qualifications, and in this case, we, we see that when Peter even asked the question, The emphasis in the original is on the pronouns. Do you wash my feet? He couldn't believe it. Sometimes people ask that because they don't believe we're even capable of doing whatever the service is. Sometimes they're right. There's some types of service where you want someone to specialize in it. I don't want everybody trying to tell me something medical. We have a doctor and several nurses and some scientists in here. Maybe I'll talk to them before I talk to somebody who can't even name two bones or two muscle groups. There are certain things 
that you need to be qualified to help. When we ask for, for people to serve with our children, they have to have a background check. Not everyone can just walk in and serve our children. There has to be some qualifications there. But there are other things that anyone can do. If you have a car, you can give a ride. If you have a day where you have free time in your schedule, you can give it to serve someone. There are basic things that we can do. We can visit people who are sick. We can do basic things to serve each other. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 12, uses the analogy of the physical body to talk about the body of Christ. And it, it got me thinking about times where, like, I have an itch. And I just need to scratch. And typically we scratch with our fingernails. See, I don't really have any. But, you know, if you use, like, the knuckles right here, they can, they can scratch the itch pretty good, too. Maybe I can even use the button on my shirt. Or I can get right here and just scratch it on here. The, the point is the itch is something so basic that there are many different parts of the body that can be used to address it. But if I want to grab a bowling ball and roll it down the lane, well, that's pretty specific. And so some people will question our qualifications. And at times where the question is valid, we can't get offended. If I'm an ankle bone in the body of Christ, I have no business trying to push a bowling ball down a lane. But maybe I can do other things to serve. And so what we see here in these questions, and there's going to be a question and there's going to be other things that Peter does that Jesus has to address, is we see that there are times where we should keep moving forward in the service. And there are times where the questions actually cause us to say, maybe I shouldn't be serving in this area right now. And that's okay. You know, sometimes we have a need and we need somebody to just jump in and serve. You might not even be good at it. But what you can do is better than not having anyone in the position at all. Sometimes just having someone there when you are hurting is better than being all alone. Even if that person isn't a wordsmith, even if that person isn't a professionally trained counselor, it's better to have them than to have no one. And so it takes wisdom, it takes discernment to know times that we should push forward in service and other times where we're just not qualified in this, in this area. And it's okay. Because God has different parts to our bodies that serve differently. And one of the main points of 1 Corinthians 12 and that analogy with the human body is that every part of the body is equally important. Just they may not all be as visible. So we see Jesus, he has a response when his, his service is questioned. But some people won't just question your service. Some people will refuse your service. And look at verse 8. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Emphatically, I don't care what you say. I don't care that you just told me that I'm not going to understand it now and I'll understand it later. You will never wash my feet, Jesus. I could just picture Jesus has the foot in his hand, and he just snatches it away. Get your hand off my foot. You're never washing my foot. This is the job of a slave. You are our master and our Lord. Get up. We should be washing your feet. Some people may refuse your service. And in verse 8, Jesus responds to the refusal. And he says, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And we looked at what that meant 
in detail last week and looked at the spiritual implications of those statements. But here we see that Jesus is explaining to Peter the consequences of the refusal. Okay, you, you don't want me to wash your feet? That's okay. But understand what that means. Now, there are many times, and it, it seems counterintuitive that somebody would refuse service when they're in need. But it happens so often. And it, oftentimes it happens with money. You know, somebody go, gets out of work, especially if a, if a husband can no longer provide financially because he lost a job. And it is so difficult to get many men to accept help when they're in that situation. They refuse it. And for us, when we can, we need to respond the way Jesus did and explain the consequences of the refusal. Listen, you may be six days behind on your mortgage right now, but if you don't accept this help, you're going to be six months behind, and you and your family are going to be out on the street. And then you're going to be, you're going to be in a position where so many people have to come alongside you to help you, to get you back on your feet. You can just accept the help now. Sometimes the service doesn't have to be that deep, and people will still refuse the service. Pride stands up in us, and it will not let us be in a humble position to allow someone else to serve. But if we're serving quietly, without blame, if we're serving with humility, if we're serving motivated with love, then many times those walls will break down. Many times the refusals will turn into acceptance. Many times explaining the consequences, when done humbly, can help someone see the foolishness of them refusing the service. And that's what we see here. We see that Peter then, in verse 9, he has a change of heart. And he wants to accept Jesus' service now because he understands what it really means to refuse it. But this leads me to my third thing that people will do with your service. So sometimes they will question your service. Other times, they will refuse your service. And then you have others who will abuse your service. Jesus offered to wash Peter's feet. What does he do? He wants a day at the spa. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. You got the basin right there. You might as well take care of some other parts too while you're at it, Jesus. Some people will try to abuse our service. How does Jesus handle this? Jesus explains the adequacy of the service offered. Jesus said to him, this is verse 10, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. You don't need me to wash your hands. You don't need me to wash your head. You already have been cleansed. Now we look at what that meant last week of salvation and sanctification. Here, just look at it in the natural sense. Jesus gave him an offer, and it it seems so outlandish to accept that help from Jesus, accept the service from Jesus, that he said, first he questioned him, then he said, oh, no, you'll never do that, even though you told me it's for my benefit and I'll understand it later. No. He questioned it, then he refused it, and now he wants to abuse it. Now he wants more than what was offered. And Jesus said, no, no, here's what you need. You know, I was talking to a a friend recently who um, talked about loaning another friend money and then not getting paid back, but seeing this person taking lavish vacations and going to different islands and stuff like that and buying expensive clothes. and, And this friend is struggling, has five children, 
and, you know, is working a job that doesn't pay her enough to support two of them. And keeps asking, I really need the money. Can you pay me back? No, I don't have it. But I'm going to Cancun next week, though. But I don't, I don't have anything to pay you back. And some, some people abuse your service. Now, this person wasn't a Christian, so um, her response was a little different than what I hope our response would be when, when someone does something like that. But understand that just because you want to serve, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to accept it. It doesn't mean that everyone is going to be happy with you wanting to serve. So Jesus doesn't allow the abuse or, or his service to be exploited. Jesus serves in a way that will best minister to Peter. Another thing we see is Jesus served those who mistreated him. Look at verse 21. John 13, 21. He says, when Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. And we see in in verse 11, John adds, uh, when Jesus said, you are clean, but not all of you, John adds in verse 11, for he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. And we looked at this a little bit last week, but Jesus washed the feet of Judas. He served the one who would mistreat him and betray him. Betrayed him with a kiss as you move on through, through the gospel. And he knew it at the time that he grabbed his feet and began to wash them. And, and the language which describes him washing the feet paint the picture of it being tender and being thorough. He didn't just splash some water on it but that he did it in a way to truly minister to the disciples. And he did this to Judas as well. We are called to serve people, even the ones who we feel mistreat us. Even the ones that we think we have a reason to hold a grudge against. We are called to serve them. And of course, we are called to drop the grudge and to offer forgiveness. But we are called to serve everyone in the body. We don't get to pick and choose the ones that we like. We don't get to pick and choose the ones that talk like us or look like us or the ones that have the same background. We are called to serve everyone. I heard a preacher who preached on this, and he said, you know, I would have probably washed Judas' feet myself. And I was a little shocked when I heard it because I, in my humanity, I don't think I could have. Knowing what he was going to do, that would take a lot of prayer and fasting to be able to wash Judas' feet. But then this preacher went on to say, but I would have made sure the water was scalding hot first. And dunked his feet right in there and held them down. I'm like, there you go. All right, all right, all right. You're human again. Okay. Jesus did what seems impossible. But we're empowered to do the same. Those one another's that we looked at earlier aren't just little pretty ornaments in Scripture. It's what we are commanded to do. In fact, the book of 1 John, when you look at the third and fourth chapters, we're told that if we don't express this type of love for our brothers, then God is not in us. You can't claim to love, yet refuse to serve. Jesus served those who mistreated him, and we must do the same. Jesus served regardless of rank or position. Look at verse 13. 
13 to 14. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Actually, we'll stop there. There is no greater separation of rank or importance from Jesus to his disciples than any other relationship we see on earth. Many people call the president of the United States the president of the, or the leader of the free world. And if we consider that position, that office to be the most powerful on earth, some, some would debate that, the most powerful ruler, leader, king, to the lowliest citizen of the lowliest nation. The gap between those two looks like this when you compare the gap between Jesus and even his most holiest disciple. Yet Jesus still took the position of a servant. And that is what we have to do. It doesn't matter title or position or rank or background or culture. All that matters is if somebody belongs to Christ, we have to take the position of a servant to them. Now, yes, there are institutions that God has set up that has authority and submission. The church, the home, the government, even the workplace. And we see those, actually you see those laid out in in Ephesians 5 and 6. And how we are to relate to each other in those relationships where there is authority and submission. And what's so beautiful is at the beginning of that section, we are told to submit to one another. That we have to take the role of a servant whenever there is someone in need. We have to come humbly. It doesn't matter what our position is or their position is. We have to be willing to serve. Jesus did it. And there was no one close to him. The king of kings, the lord of lords. He wrapped a towel around his waist and washed the feet of his disciples, which was the job of a slave. One of the most important nights of his earthly existence. Verses 14 and 15 show us the next thing. Jesus served as an example to others. He says, If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. He didn't just do this and then leave them and then we're coming to a, a narrative in the Bible and trying to make it applicable to everyone's life. Jesus said, this is how you serve. In Matthew chapter 6, we have it recorded. Disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, okay, pray like this. Here, Jesus is saying, serve like this. So everything that we see about the service of Jesus should be what we strive for. Again, he says, if I'm the Lord and the teacher, if I wash your feet, you all shall wash one another's feet. Right before they got here, they were arguing about who will be the greatest in the kingdom. Once Jesus leaves, we need a new leader. Who's going to take his place? And so, of course, none of them wanted to wash each other's feet. None of them were going to say, I'm going to take the position of a slave. I'm going to get on my knees in front of you and wash your feet while I sit at the same time trying to say that I'm greater than you and I should be the one leading this group. They were too busy jockeying for position to worry about serving one another. So Jesus had to show them the ultimate act of service on earth. And a few hours later, he serves them the ultimate act of service throughout the cosmos. And if you read the epistles and the book of Acts, we realize they finally got it. 
They got the message. These humble men who were tripping over themselves, who ran from the garden when Jesus was arrested, and the only one who didn't run was the one who took out a sword and chopped off someone's ear. These same guys who couldn't seem to get it together, who were arguing about who was going to be the greatest, were able to take the gospel all over the known world at that time. They were able to do what Jesus said they would do. So we also, who have the same Holy Spirit in us, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, is the same power that is in you, that is in me. We can also do the things that Jesus commanded us to do. We can serve in the way that Jesus said we ought to serve. This isn't just something that we see and say, oh, that was really nice. Well, yeah, I'm glad we looked at that today. All right, yeah, what are you doing this afternoon? No, this is something that impacts the way that we live our lives from here on out. We don't have an excuse. Because no matter how badly I preach this, and no matter how much I trip over this, you still are hearing the word of God. You still are seeing Jesus say, this is how you should serve. But here's the great thing about this. Look at verse 17. He says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Service, this is the last point, service leads to joy. We don't just serve and get nothing out of it, but perhaps another notch on our our service belt. We serve out of obedience, and we serve because of the joy that we will have in it. God rewards us. Sometimes those rewards show up in in different ways. Sometimes those rewards will be things that we can see, that we can touch. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes many of us will have to wait until we get to heaven, and then we see the reward for our works. But what we have now, and I can guarantee for every single one of you, is that if you serve, you will have joy. So, if service leads to joy, and you don't feel a lot of joy in your life, then what should you be doing more of? Serving, right? Yeah, I heard a couple people say, it's all right, you can say, you won't distract me, I'll be all right. So we should be serving, right? If we want more joy, then we should do more service. That sounds really simple. I mean, I'm not a not a math major or anything. I'm not one of these, uh, one of the fancy scientists that we got lurking around here, looking especially in this corner and over here. But I'm not one of these, one of these people, right? I, I went to public school. But I know that more service equals more joy. So I want to serve more. I want to look for more opportunities to serve because I like joy. So hopefully... We could all walk out of here looking for ways to serve each other. We want to be like Jesus. And if you're a believer, you don't really have much of a choice. You're going to be more like Jesus. You may not like the way you get there, but you're going to look more like Jesus. So you might as well get there with a lot of joy. You know, um, so this morning, I always think of stuff. It always happens in, in, in the morning, too, in Sunday morning. But my wife and I were driving here. We're listening to a song, and he quotes this amazing Bible verse. And as I think about us looking for joy, I think it's only only appropriate. Uh, it's in sign. I want us to all turn there. I want us to look at it, especially because I know that there are many of us here who are hurting. Many of us here who are dealing with very difficult times in our lives. Psalms 34, and then, then I'll take my seat. 
Psalm chapter 34, verse 19. This is a promise for all of us. The Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. All. So no matter what you are going through, God will deliver you out of it. And you want to have joy while you're in it? Serve. And that service may actually be the way that you're delivered out of your despair, out of your depression. Serve others and focus on Christ. Point others toward Christ. This is what Jesus does here in our text. He left them with an example and leaves us with an example of how to serve. And I pray that as I take my seat that we will all be serving like Jesus. Amen. Our great God, we just want to thank you for your example of service. We want to thank you that we can look to your word and know how we are to serve. We can look to your word to know how we are to handle objections to our service. We can look to your word to know how to get joy. And I pray, God, that you will energize us for service that you will energize us to be obedient to your word. Lord, be with us in the times that we don't want to serve, that we don't want to show love to each other. Be with us, Lord, as we walk this life imperfectly, but still striving to know Christ more and to put sins to death and to look more like Jesus. And we ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.